Good morning. Back in December, we had the opportunity to open up the pages of Scripture to John chapter 1, verses 5. I'm not sure if you remember that. And the title of that sermon was called God with us. It was called God with us. And I gave you three reminders about Christmas. It was three reminders about Christmas. It was the eternal word in John chapter 1. We looked at verses 1 and 2. It was about the eternal creator in verses 3 and the eternal life in verses 4 and 5. And in verses 1 through 2, we read that the Apostle John was echoing the book of Genesis, where he explained that before the universe began, the Word always existed. We learned from the Apostle that he made a distinction from God, meaning God the Father, but then John identified the Word as God. And what this did was it it underscores the historical confession that we profess here and in many other places as well, the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is three, yet he's one God. God is one in specifically three persons. There's actually a uh, a class that I'm teaching on that, uh, taught on it this morning. In verse 3, we read that Christ is the agent of creation. He created time, space, and matter. He created the universe. He created all things. In fact, we understand that no matter how secular is the attempt to divorce the created world from the God of Scripture, their attempt to do so simply just collapses. It doesn't make sense. When, when God created the universe, within the fabric of creation, he designed and ordered everything that he had made. In fact, secularist and evolutionist Herbert Spencer, who said that all natural phenomena in the universe could be summed up in five primary classifications. We went through this. Time, force, action, space, and matter. Interestingly enough, when you observe the lens of Scripture, what we find, particularly in the book of Genesis, is this. Let me demonstrate. In the beginning, there's time, God, there's force, creation, that's action, the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. In other words, it's impossible. You cannot separate the creation from the Creator. You can't do it. It's a seam that can't be separated. In verses 4 and 5, we read that spiritual life is only found in who? In Christ. And in surrendering one's life to his lordship, Christ imparts eternal life to that individual. They're called Christians. They're called followers of Christ. And so this morning... I want to move forward 
from those verses in the passage in verses 6 through 13 of John's letter. Turn it to the book of John, the book of John. I don't think we're going to have time to go through all of the verses, but the verses that we'll cover I think will be sufficient for this Lord's Day. I want to move forward into verses 6 through 13. What I want to do is I want to highlight three observations that will form the basis of our outline this morning. Three observations I want you to see. I called it the testament, the rejection, and the distributor. The testament, the rejection, the distributor. The testament, verses 6 through 9, the rejection, verses 10 and 11, and the distributor, verses 12 through 13. The apostle, by this time, he's aged, and what he is about to demonstrate for us is that Christ must have the preeminence in all things. We read that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 18. He must have the preeminence. He must have the supremacy. He must have complete rule over everything. So let's go ahead and set our gaze to the testament of light as witnessed by John the Baptist. And what I want you to do is spotlight your eyes to verse 6. We read, There came a man sent from God. Just Stop there for a moment. That Greek word for sent is where we get the, um, is the idea of, of apostelomos in the Greek. It's, it's to send a person out on a special commission. It's passive. In other words, John didn't appoint himself to the, com- to the commission. He didn't appoint himself. God appointed him and sent him. You know, in our English we have the active voice. I hit the ball. And passive would be, the ball hit me, right? So John didn't send himself, God sent him. God sent him. This is the same word we actually use for the mission of the Son of God. It's also used for his apostles. And verse 6 goes on to say that the man whom God sent was who? Right there in the verse. John. John the Baptist. Now, all of us know that John the Baptist was a man on fire. I mean, he was set loose. And the course of his life set a blazing trail for the arrival of such a one whose going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity, as Micah chapter 5 puts it. We look at passages such as Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 where we read that Isaiah prophesied of the coming of a messenger who would prepare the way for the coming of the Christ, the coming of Messiah. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 also points this out. Chapter 4, verses 5 points this out. It refers to an individual, a man who would come to point the way to Christ. And these references, all of them are summed up in a man named John the Baptist. And he was said to be a man filled with the Spirit. Get this, from the womb. From the womb. Luke chapter 1 talks about that. Verse 15. 
And after he was born, Scripture writes that John continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived, in all places, the desert. Until the day of his public appearance to Israel. When I lived in California, my wife and I lived in California for seven years, there were people who lived in the desert. You just travel up north and there's a nice big desert out there. Just one or two people just living in the desert. I just thought they were strange. And John the Baptist, some people would think that John the Baptist was a strange, strange individual. Luke 3 tells us that John's ministry of baptism and repentance began, this is interesting, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Caesar. And under Caesar, you had four governors. You had some of you who are um, maybe familiar with this. You had Pontius Pilate of Judea, that's one. You have Herod of Galilee. And then you had his brother Philip of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis. And then you have four, the Sancias of Abilene. That's four. And they were primarily responsible for governing the people, and they reported to, guess who? Caesar. Caesar. Caesar was God back in the day. And when John made his public appearance to Israel, it was sudden. It was, you could say, unanticipated. By anyone else in Israel, his preaching was... You could say it was, it was commanding. It was powerful. It was, it was bold. It was unwavering. Perhaps you could say that he was a man without the fear of man. He didn't care what anybody thought about him. And his proclamation of repentance ricocheted throughout all parts of the Roman Empire, such that it even arrested the attention of Herod, who was publicly rebuked by John the Baptist for illegally marrying his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. I mean, you want to talk about family problems. That must have been an interesting one. And it was this kind of public shame that infuriated Herod, who wanted to have John killed, wanted to have him murdered, but he was afraid to carry out the death of John the Baptist because of the influence among the people that he had, who believed that he was a prophet. You see, there was, a, uh, there was an anticipation about who John was. Some thought he was the Messiah. Is this the Messiah? I mean, he wasn't even preaching a year. Guess how long he was preaching for? One year. One year he was preaching, and his influence was that far-reaching in one year. He was that powerful. His influence was so gripping. It was so demanding that people paid attention to what he was saying. So instead, instead of killing John the Baptist right away, Herod threw him in jail. Some time had passed, perhaps maybe seven months, some speculate, to a year. John was in prison. He stayed there. And then at one point, Herod throws a party and he had John the Baptist beheaded upon the request of Herodias' daughter. And historical sources tell us that her name is Salome. Salome. And so here you have John the Baptist. You have the one sent by God. You have the one who exposed and denounced the sins of his day 
especially the religious hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees, the one who proclaimed repentance, ready the hearts of the people for the arrival of the very creator himself. And having completed his ministry on this earth, John has now been removed from the spotlight of history, and now it is time for the Christ, the God-man, the creator, stepping onto the scene. Man, can you feel that anticipation? God is on the earth, and John would have it no other way. He would have it no other way. As John put it, Christ must what? Increase. He must increase. While John decreases. Depreciation. John chapter 3. Christ must have the preeminence, Hope Bible Church. I mean, shouldn't that be said of all of us, right? I mean, sometimes I've often wondered what, it, um, uh, what I would like inscribed in my tombstone after the Lord takes me home. I mean, I don't, I'm not like, you know, creepy or anything. I don't think about death often. You know, I like to try to make dying the last thing I do. But oftentimes, you know, well, not oftentimes, sometimes I think, you know, after I die, what I would want on my tombstone. And I, I, I think, maybe, maybe, Marlia, maybe, I think I would like it to say, Acts chapter 13, verses 36, what it said about King David. Not that I'm a king. King David said this, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. He fell asleep. He died. Went home. John the Baptist served the purpose of God, and then the Lord took him home. And we will see him in the celestial city one day, Hope Bible Church. We will see him one day. And having said all of those things, the life of John the Baptist isn't so much the focus of John's letter here. It's not so much the focus of the letter to the churches in Asia Minor, let alone the chapter. In fact, you have the other gospel writers, they do that, but not John the Apostle. Interesting. He makes no mention of the Baptist origin. He makes no mention of his character. He assumes the church already knows who John the Baptist is. The, apostle, the Apostle's emphasis to John's testament about the light is seen in verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. We read that John was sent for the exclusive purpose to what? To testify about the light. So that all might believe through him. Through who? John's testimony. John the Baptist's testimony or witness. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. He came to what? He came to testify. Maturion in the Greek. It means to bear witness is where we get the English word martyr from. John was sent by God as a forerunner to point out the Messiah who is the light, who is the light of the world. In fact, you have the fulfillment of John's commission is seen in verses 15 where he says, and he, he's, he, what does he say here in verse 15? He said, John what? Testified. Marturion, 
he testified about him, Christ. And he cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I can imagine John crying out saying that with excitement. The Christ is here. The creator is here. There he is. There he is. <coughs> there he is. He's here. The creator has finally stepped into history. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't hesitate at all to depreciate himself and his ministry because he understood that the Messiah was finally here. His commission is over. It's over. His commission is fulfilled. It was time for his followers to shadow the long-awaited Messiah. It was time for his disciples, his followers, to be disciples of the Christ. Believers in Christ, I tell you that in the Apostle John's letter, he was very deliberate in pointing out John's depreciation about the, and the increase of Jesus' ministry. Why? Because Jesus must have the preeminence. Well did the apostle, well did the apostle understand that there would be the potential, even in our day, there'd be the potential by some to give John the Baptist the kind of place that would encroach on the place only reserved for the preeminence of the great king. Others would do so only knowing the baptism of John or being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Remember that? Some would do so in ignorance. Some, would, some just didn't know. Some would do so willingly, defiant against the scriptures, defiant against the apostolic testimony, defiance against the apostle John. I'm sorry, or I should say John the Baptist. This is precisely what happened actually with Apollos in Ephesus. And then you had the 12 men Paul ran into we, that we read about in the book of Acts chapter 18. You were to turn there in Acts chapter 19. You don't need to turn there right now. They were all straightened out, so to speak. <laughs> they were all straightened out. But we do find even outside of the text of Scripture in other extra biblical writings or historical writings that there were people that I would call are seed pickers. Seed pickers. Perhaps at one point they were members of the church and they apostatized and they left because they refused to surrender themselves to the apostolic teaching of the apostles. These people took a little Christianity here and a little heresy there, and they formed their own false religious system after their own image. William Barclay says this. This is what he said. He said, It's a strange fact that in the fourth gospel, every reference to John the Baptist is a reference of depreciation. See that? It's a reference of depreciation. There is an explanation for that. John was the prophetic voice. For over 400 years, the, the voice of prophecy had been silent. And in John, it spoke again. It seemed that certain people were so fascinated by John, they have given him a higher place than they ought to have had. There, in fact, indicates that there was actually a sect who put John the Baptist in a higher place. We find an echo of them in Acts chapter 19, verses 3 and 4 in Ephesus. Paul came upon certain people who knew nothing but the baptism of John. It was not that the fourth gospel wished to criticize John or that it underestimated or underrated, I should say, his importance. It was simply that John, John the Baptist, John knew, I should say, there were certain people who gave John the Baptist a place that encroached upon the place of Jesus himself, end quote. 
Now, you're going to be pretty you know, uh, surprised by this, but did you even know that today there are still followers of John the Baptist? Did you know that? I was taken back. I was surprised. You can actually look them up. Don't look them up now. Turn your cell phones off. They're called Mendeans, or Mandeanism. Some of you may be familiar with that. They actually venerate the, the, that, you know, John the Baptist. They venerate John the Baptist. They revere, they revere Adam, Abel, Seth, Enosh, Noah, Shem, and Aram. Notice that Jesus is not mentioned yet in here. But they revere, seriously revere, John the Baptist. They reside in the Middle East. Go figure. Mostly near a lot of water. Sound familiar? <laughs> because water rituals are very important to them. They believe in, guess what, baptismal regeneration. Oh, by the way, they are called Gnostics. They're called Gnostics. And if it couldn't get any worse, they, get this, they denounce the Lord Jesus Christ. And they argue that Christ changed the teachings of John the Baptist. There used to be about 60,000 to 70,000 of them, 70,000 followers of Mandianism. But the religious, uh, the religious um, persecution by the Muslim extremists reduced them to about 5,000 people. There are about 5,000 that exist today over in the Middle East. Now, I, my only question to them is, would the real John the Baptist who pointed out Christ the Messiah please stand up? Please. Where is John the Baptist? We read about him in the scripture. John the Baptist would agree with the apostle who said in verse 8 that John was what? He wasn't the light. He wasn't the light. But he came to what? He came to what? To witness. You see that? He came to testify about the light. Oh, by the way, just as a footnote, if you were to turn ahead to John chapter 5, verses 35, I believe it is. John chapter 5, verses 35 of John's letter, you would read that Jesus called John the Baptist the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So the question that one could potentially ask is Jesus or John, and John contradicting himself in calling John the Baptist the light, and the answer is, well, no, because our Lord used the Greek word, interesting Greek word, it's called, it's called luknas, which actually refers to a portable lamp. In other words, John the Baptist was simply a portable lamp reflecting the light. Phos in the Greek, the light referring to the essence of light itself. In other words, Christ. Christ. Followers of Christ are but and can only be portable lamps reflecting the light of Jesus Christ. That's all we are. We're reflectors. We're portable lamps. John the Baptist was a portable lamp. Note this other word from William Barclay. He says this. He says, somewhere in the church, there was a group who wished to give John the Baptist too high a place. John the Baptist himself gave no encouragement to that, but rather did everything to discourage it. But the fourth gospel knew that the tendency was there and took steps to guard against it. Took steps to guard against it. 
he goes on and he says, it can still happen. It can still happen that a congregation may worship a preacher rather than Christ. It can still happen that people fix their attention upon the messenger rather than upon the king whose coming is announced. John the Baptist was not in the least to blame for what had happened. But John the Evangelist was determined to see that no one should push Christ to the sidelines. End quote. John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who's coming, who was coming after him, that is who? In Christ. In Christ. Acts chapter 19, verses 4. It's always bearing witness about the light so that in all things Christ may have the preeminence, Hope Bible Church. You look at it, you can just read through it, just do a cursory read of John's letter and you see that this is the melodic line of his letter. It goes all the way through it. All the way through it. Let me give you some examples. You have... You have the witness of, who we just talked about, John the Baptist. Verses 32 to 34 of his letter, chapter 1, he says, John what? Testified. Same Greek word. Same exact Greek word. John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I didn't recognize him. In other words, he didn't know that his cousin was the Messiah. I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And then he says this in verse 34, I myself have seen and have what? I've testified that this is the Son of God. That's the witness of John the Baptist. And then you have the witness of the works of Christ. You turn to chapter, chapter 5, verses 36. You can start there. And it says that Christ says this, but the testimony which I have is what? Is greater than the what? Than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. You have the witness of the works of Christ. And then you have the witness of God the Father testifying not about John the Baptist, but about God the Son. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me has what? Has testified. Has testified of me. Of me. In the economy of God, from before the foundation of the world, it was appointed to, for the Son to be sent by the Father to, to redeem a people for himself. And in redeeming a people for himself, Christ calls them, he saves them, he sanctifies them, and he changes them. They are called Christians. 
And in doing so, we are in a long line of saints. A long line of saints. A long line of saints. Think about it. Abel. Enoch. Noah. Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. Sarah. Joseph. Moses. Rahab. Gideon, Barak, the mighty Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. So great, great cloud of what? <laughs> Witnesses. Witnesses surrounding us. You have the witness of the scripture themselves. The witness of scripture. John chapter 5. Verses 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that what? That testify about me. That testify about me. John chapter 5, same chapter. Verses 46. For if you believe Moses, you will believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? How will you believe? If you don't believe in, in the scripture, you're not going to believe anything. You're not going to believe anything. If you deny the witness of the scripture, the witnesses of all the people who saw the Christ, how are you going to believe? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Peter says this, he says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. Listen to this. They were not serving themselves, but you. But you, in these things which now have been announced to you, through whom, for those who preach the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look for, the witness of the scriptures. Wasn't that Philip's conviction? When in his excitement he said to Nathanael, We have found him who, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Can you see that? The excitement. The Messiah is here. And to the horror of the rich man who lifted up his eyes and finding himself in torment, said, I beg you, Father Abraham, that you send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that they may warn them so that they would not also come to this place of torment. And you know what Abraham says? How he responds? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have the witness of the scriptures. They have the witness of the scriptures. You know, we know exactly what the people 
are saying in hell right now? You know what they're saying? What the rich man said. Don't come to this place of torment. Don't come. Don't come. Believe in the witness of the scriptures. Believe in the Christ. Believe in what he said. Believe in the apostolic witness of the scriptures. Believe in the law and the prophets. Believe in the scriptures. Don't come here. Don't come to this place of torment. My dad had the witness of the scriptures, and he rejected that. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if one rises from the dead. Wow, that's powerful. The witness of the scriptures. You know something? The great white throne judgment will be a most terrifying event for every unregenerate person. Every unregenerate person who were unwilling to believe in what? In the witness of the scriptures. In the apostolic testimony of the, the apostles, the ones sent, the ones who wrote the scriptures. And Christ on that day will bear witness against them in that terrifying day of judgment. Scripture will witness against them. And all mouths will be, be stopped. It will be stopped. In fact, let me give you an example of this. Revelation, turn there real quick. What time is it? Just want to make sure I got time. Revelation. I want you to see this. I want to. Revelation 22. 22, verse 10 and 11. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Then it says this. This is real interesting. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. There's going to come a time when people who deny the witness of the scripture, remember that verse, because of their rejection of the scriptures, because they want to remain in the condition that they are. They don't want to be changed. They don't want to be saved. They don't want to be set apart. They don't want Christ. They don't want the Bible. They don't want to live their life after the, after the precepts of Scripture. God will make it so that he changes their disposition and he seals it so that they remain that way forever. You want to still do wrong? I'll seal it so that your judgment is like that forever. You want to be filthy? I will seal you so that you remain filthy forever. You want to be unrighteous? You want to deny the scriptures, the witness of the scriptures? I will seal your doom so that you will remain filthy forever. You want to deny me? You want to deny the Christ? You want to deny the witness of the scriptures? He will make it so that you remain 
in denial for the rest of eternity. And you will be separate. You want to be separate from the Father. You want to be separate from the Son. You want to be separate from the Holy Spirit. You want to be separate from the witness of the Scriptures. Oh, it'll happen. He will make it sure that you get exactly what you wish for the unregenerate. But for those who have surrendered their life, over to the witness of the scriptures, to the Christ of the scriptures. As we read in here, he, Christ, will bear witness to their salvation. You want to be holy, right? You want to be like Christ, Hope Bible Church. He will make it so that you remain righteous forever. You're tired of, your, of the residue sin in your life and the stubbornness of your heart, and you want to long after change, and you fight and you strive for that change because you believe in the witness of the scriptures, a time will come where he will seal you, where you are righteous and holy forever and ever. Do you like that? Imagine what it would be like, and it will happen, when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Christ, he will seal righteousness forever. And he will remove unrighteousness forever. Forever. Imagine going up to Jerusalem, the celestial city, and meeting John the Baptist, or meeting Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Doug Baldrige, <laughs> Pastor Allen. Hey, you want to go down to the streets of this, the streams of the Getty and go for a walk? Let's just go ahead and talk with Abraham. Just want to get a talk with him. Want to go ahead and have a, a great theological dis discussion with the Christ of the Scriptures. He's going to make us so that we remain righteous forever. I cannot wait for that day. I can't wait. I just can't wait. You know, that's why I study eschatology a lot. I just get excited because I want to see him reign. I want to see him come and so that all will bear witness. Even those will bear witness in judgment. I want to see it all. And I know you want to see it all. You have the witness of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, verses 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit gives testimony. Gives testimony, even with our spirits, that we are sons of God. John 15, 27 says this, and this is an application to us, to us, as it was to the disciples of that day, and we're in a long line of history, John 15, 27, and you will testify, bear witness, you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. He's referring, obviously, to contextual, he's referring to the apostles. 
But the great application is that we bear witness of the scriptures. We bear witness and we believe the scriptures. John 21, verses 24. John 21, verses 24, it says, This is the disciple who was testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his what? His testimony is true. His testimony is true. John MacArthur says this. He says, I can't emphasize that enough. I can't emphasize this enough. Gospel ministry is about the light. It is about Christ. It is given the facts, the truth, the evidence concerning who he is, why he came, and what he has done. That's gospel ministry, to give the facts concerning the one who is the word of life, the light, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to demonstrate that indeed the word became flesh, dwelt among us for 33 years, and put his glory on display, the very glory that belongs to one who proceeds from the Father, full of divine grace and truth. All true Christian ministries established here as being Christ-dominated, Christ-centered. This is the true nature of Christian ministry, is about Jesus Christ. John points people to the Savior. End quote. End quote. So what's the conclusion? John wrote his letter to the churches of Asia Minor that the unanswerable witness to Christ, the, the unanswerable witness to Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, who is the light. We're portable lamps, people. <laughs> We're portable lamps, church, reflecting the light of Jesus Christ. That's all that we are. We're not to reflect any other light. None. None can encroach upon that. Don't ever let anyone, anything encroach upon that. Why? Because Christ must have the preeminence. You know, it's said that Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 hymns. That's a lot of hymns. I think I like wrote one. You don't know about it. But I think I wrote one in my lifetime. <laughs> I'm still alive. Maybe I wrote a, maybe, maybe someday I'll write a second one. But 6,000 hymns. And one of those hymns is called a charge to keep. It's called a hymn of witness. It's called a hymn of testimony. It says this. A charge to, a charge to keep I have. A God to glorify. A never dying soul to save. And fit for the sky. To serve the present age. My calling to fulfill, oh, may it all my powers engage to do my master's will. Arm me with jealous care as in thy sight to live, and now thy servant, Lord, prepare a strict account to give. Help me to watch and pray and still on thee rely. Oh, let me not my trust betray, but press to realms on high. Let's pray. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, 
but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ. Be the glory forever. Amen.